Hello to you, dear listener. With my sister working in London for a few months, I have officially begun my new role as personal Uber driver, chef and laundress to my eighth grader niece. These first few days have been spent mostly driving her from one social engagement to the next. It's been a soft start for which I'm immensely grateful, with me trying not to lay down too many laws too soon, just observing. This I know for sure, sugar is cocaine for kids. Today, some Malibu mums and I are taking our charges to see the well-reviewed movie Eighth Grader. I hope to learn some tips on how to deal with teenage angst. I shall report back. Wish me luck. In the meantime, here's my chat with the fabulous British pop star, Mary Wilson. Put the kettle on, Tiago. We simply must applaud them. The chat podcast with Claire Borden. Here we are in Beverly Hills with, if I may say, the most fancy post-zip code, as they call it here, 90210. Rather. Mm. Did you ever imagine when you were just the Neesden Queen of Soul that you'd end up living in bi-coastally? No, bi-coastally. That it sounds, sounds like glamorous. bisexually, doesn't it? It does, yes. Well, there's that too. We'll get on to that later. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, when you know sometimes when you buy things here in a shop, they ask for your zip code. Mm. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Be you know, proud! Because it's, that's such, but that's a typical British working yeah. class attitude. It, if you're working class, it never, ever leaves you. And it's mm. almost like you don't deserve it. Really? You know, I, I think Americans are much more, uh, yeah, I deserve this. I've worked for this and I deserve it. And they're not afraid to talk about money or mm. status. Whereas British people, I think it's because we still have a class system mm-hmm. in the UK. Um, and they don't have one here. If there's any, if there's any similarity here, it's probably race. But in in England, it's mm. class. Oh, I've gone very serious yes, at the beginning, haven't I? Hell, I wasn't expecting this. No. Oh, this is going to be light and fluffy. Yes. So you you consider yourself a working class girl? Yeah, from... I think I always always will. I think it never ever leaves you, you know. And I am, you know, grew up in Neasden, quite, a, you know, in a, in a three bedroom London transport house because my dad worked for London Transport. Um, parents were Scottish, dad was in the Second World War, sunk at Tobruk on his destroyer, trod water for six hours, picked up by the Italians and put in a prisoner of war camp for nine months and my mum didn't know if he was dead or alive. There you go. You know, what what an upbringing. Yeah, and we didn't have a, we had an outside toilet till I was about nine. Now it's becoming a Monty Python sketch. (laughs) Well, as, as you brought it up, I didn't think we'd go in the toilet, but my nanny Fordham, she had an outside toilet and there was bits of newspaper on a hook yes that's right well and i set fire really... to it once because we had a paraffin lamp i mean you couldn't make this up we had a paraffin lamp to go out to the toilet at night and i put the paraffin lamp below the toilet roll and of course the flame mm. the toilet roll uh, Sorry. <laughs> set fire to the toilet so that that wasn't good but we didn't have a bathroom we had no. a tin bath okay uh we had yes. a bathroom put in when i was about nine or ten so you don't take your comfortable life that you have now and we have worked very no. hard for you still don't take it for granted no not at all i i you know i get in my lovely car every day and i think oh my god look at me driving this lovely car look at the lovely house i live in look at the lovely husband i have yeah. I, i'm i'm very 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 thankful and very aware of it because i don't think i just don't think it ever really leaves you 
you yeah. know. So do you think that, because I know how hard you work, do you think that work, that comes from your working class upbringing and, and, and work, working yeah, the work ethic. You? Yeah. yeah, the work ethic. It's, um, you know, you've you got to earn a living. I left school at 16 got a job and I had lots of different sort of office jobs before I became like quote pop star I was quite an old pop star you really? know I wasn't a pop star when I was 18 I was like 25 and that's that was old well it's not I mean Debbie Harry was in her 30s I think when she right. kind of became a pop pop star but um yeah it's not like that you know I, I, I wasn't a Demi Lovato or it's quite damaging and quite dangerous when they're so young mm. whereas I did have my childhood I did have my, my teenage years and I did have normal jobs for a few years which doesn't do you any harm right. actually I so, you, but, you... so there you are age 25 how did you become the knees and queen of soul because you were a massive i mean you're still very successful i don't mean to say you used to be but no, then but you were a massive pop star yes i had my typical they used to say two years was the length of a, yeah. of, a, of, a of pop stardom and i was pretty well i went to about from about 80 uh, as a as a pop star probably from like the end of 1981 to about 1985 I suppose of that intense period 82 83 was the most intense uh, but I, I I was working in an office and I wanted to be a singer and I used to sit there every day thinking I should be on top of the pops this is this, is my, this was my mental <laughs> this is me thinking um, I should be on top of the pops and because I'd always sang at home my parents were very musical both both Sam my mum had a lovely voice my sister can sing. My brother's also a professional musician. And we all used to sing together. But did you realise you were good? Yeah. Well, I knew I, I knew I was quite good. It's only when you're actually thrown onto a stage with a microphone you think, oh my God, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was at, at the beginning. Tell me how that came to be. Okay, so I, I, I was working in the office. I, I, I was working for Global Van Lines, oh. which is an American company. And I went to a Disney memorabilia pop-up shop and there was a Global Van Lines bus, if you like, uh, with Disney on it, um, which I thought, wow, that, isn't that amazing? That's who I was working for. So I was working there, and but I did a bit of backing vocals for friends and people that would, you know, because in those days, um, you know, now the market is saturated with singers and bands and everything. Mm. It was quite unusual to be a singer or in a band in those days. It just was. It wasn't like... It is now. No pop idol or anything like that. So I was doing backing vocals and this guy who had a studio in Elephant and Castle, oh the glamour, um, in, in Wapping actually, it was in Wapping, Wapping Wall, and it was called Elephant Studios. And he called me and he said, there's these guys, they've written this song, they've tried three singers and it hasn't quite worked out, but I, it's right up your street, it's kind of soul, Tamla kind of stuff. So I turned up and there was Tot Taylor, yeah. who'd written the song and a, a drummer called Paul Bartitude, mm. and another drummer. Tot and I got around the piano when we were singing Burt Bacharach songs. We just really hit it off. We had the same taste in music. He couldn't, he could only play in one key. Hence, if you listen back to my first <laughs> album, I'm, I'm way up there. Um, and uh, I sang this song and they loved it. And one thing led to another. And then we did, um, we recorded a song called Love Man, which was released and it was played on the radio and it was all very, very exciting. Then I started doing gigs. And the gigs, because of my image and the kind of music we were doing and the glamour, because I was wearing lots of sequins, mainly from jumble sales and charity shops. Um, I remember Top one night said, God, I think you could be really big. And I said, really? And 
anyway, I, I released sing, each single got more attention. And Beat the Beat we released, mm. and I was asked to support um, Brian Ferry on his tour. So these things kept happening. Yeah. And then we did the David Essex Showcase, which was kind of like a uh, contest sort of thing. And uh, we got the, you know, we were asked to come back the following week. Um, and then eventually, you know, we, we recorded just what I've always wanted. And then we released it and it, well, it went top 10. And you got your dream. You're on top of the pops. I was on top of the pops, and it was like this is what I was expecting because I. Well, it was, I was just what you always wanted. It was. I mean, when I um, was at school and was always reading Melody Maker and stuff, the the headmistress, who we used to call Mrs. Woodentop, she said to me, Miss Henderson, her name was, and she said, "All you think about Mary is pop music, and you get too excited." And I said, "Well, I don't really need to know about Henry VIII because I am going to be a pop singer." I mean, I, I totally believed it, you know. Right. So when I was on top of the pops, it was like, yeah, this feels... Because a lot of people said, what was it like to be on top of the pops? And it was like exactly how I expected it to be. Mm. That's what I was planning. So how did, was. where did the... Whose idea was the beehive? Um, well, my sister is, is eight years older than me, and we used to share a bedroom, and I used to watch her putting her hair up and everything. <laughs> and I always wanted to look like a bit, a bit like her or Lana Turner. I just loved glamour, really. And um, we just thought, well... Well, I mean, maybe I should wear my hair up. And then it went up and up and up, you know. But that became your signature, of course. Yes. And the great songs and the great shows. And that well, having, did... having a 12 piece band. Yeah, that's all. I was want to a talk big about that. Deal as How, well. What were the, let's talk about the logistics and the cost of that, if yeah. we may. Yeah. Because I can't imagine people doing that now. Well, what happened was we made these records that were a bit Tamla Motown y, and they had, we had brass on there, you know, horns and everything. And I said to him, so I want to do gigs. I want to go out there and do gigs. And he said, well, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? You're going to have to have a huge band. I said, all right, well, we'll have a huge band. And to begin with, I had my two school friends on backing vocals. And uh, we had, in fact, the first time, we had a 13-piece band. And then it got whittled down to just 12. Um, in retrospect, it was crazy because we would do gigs with, say, John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett, for instance. <laughs> there were two of them. There was 12 of us, and we were getting the same money. Right. Um, so, but did if I may ask, talking about money. So, w were you given a fee, and by having a twelve-piece band, meant you you personally got less, or did it not work like that? Or, uh, did, or did they? No, we were all on the same. We but, were. We yeah, were but on if a you wage. hadn't had, who paid the wage? The record company. No, my manager. So, so do, do you see where I'm going with He this? collected all the money, and because there was 12 of us, we were paid weekly something like £60 a week. But if, so if you hadn't had a 12-piece band, which I remember well and loved, some more than others, <laughs> more of that later, surely you would have got more money, because there'd have been more money in the pot. You've if never, I hadn't had a 12-piece yeah. band? Of course. Yeah, so yeah did, I would have been laughing. Yeah. 
you know. I've, but I've... but that all of that said, and I applaud you for doing it. It was a great spectacle. Your shows were yeah, just I, wonderful. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't really care then. Yeah. I, I started to care a bit later on, <laughs> but um, it was such good fun. And and I think, that, uh, you know, a lot of the time you kind of lose sight of that. Is that you know we were young, and we were having a great time. We were going on stage, and it wasn't. Well, you toured the, you came to America. I remember. Yeah, that. we toured America in 1983. We were all constantly all over Europe. Um, you know, France, Amsterdam, Spain, um, all the time, you know. And what, what a great life. What a great way to yeah. see the world. Um, so, you know, you can bang on about kind of, well, I didn't really make that much money out of that part of my career. But it, what it did, it gave me a career. Mm. And I'm and 63 is, and I'm still doing it. So. Which is extraordinary and not wonderful. When yeah. I say extraordinary, not for you... But when, if you compare yourself to other people who were around at that time, they'd never heard of them. Yes. They never sang again. Keep calm and chat on. One of your favourite songs, a personal favourite, which you also recorded. Mm. This is How Can You Mend a Broken Heart by the Bee Gees. But why, why this song? Why do you love it so? I, well, um, I've always loved the Bee Gees. When I was 11, I was in love with Barry Gibb. Of course. And my friend Mandy was in love with Maurice Gibb. We couldn't find someone to be in love with Robin, mm. bless him. Uh, so we were anyway. So we used to pretend we were married to them. And mm. I used to go to Carnaby Street to see if I could see him because he said he bought his white jeans in uh, Lord John, which was a shop in Carnaby Street. Never did. And then when it's it a was bit his, stalkery, if I'm it saying. is rather yes. I was only eleven, and his birthday came around, Barry's birthday, and so I bought him a little cuddly toy. And my friend Mandy said, "Well, shouldn't we get something for the other two mm. just to put in the box?" So we went to the shop and we bought them. Ten Benson and Hedges each, and for those who don't know what Benson and Hedges is, it was ten cigarettes. Well, and, and not cheap number six. These were the tie end. Yes, these were. You know, Benson and Hedges were posh cigarettes. So I, well, I don't even know if they smoked. But um, and also, how do we buy them? Age eleven, it was illegal. <laughs> but we got them. We put them in a shoebox with the cuddly toy, sent to the uh, fan club. Uh, not a dicky bird. Didn't hear a word. Oh, that was very sad. And then he went and married Miss Scotland whom he's wow. still married to. And you're Scottish, it was so And close. I'm Scottish, it was so close, you know. But there again, I was probably a bit, about 10 years too young. But uh, anyway, they're not really given the credit they deserve, still, you know, for I songwriting, you mean, or... or yeah, for their songwriting. Yeah. Blimey. The songs they've written are just amazing. And I mean, I've also recorded the 1st of May, which is a beautiful BG song. But I thought we'd go for this yes. one because um, it's just, it's just a great song. And you sing it so very well. Thank you. I can think of younger days When living for my life Was everything a girl could want to do I could never see What makes the world go around? 
Yeah, that is a classic song, beautifully sung. Now let's talk, because that's what's called in the biz a cover. I think. A cover, yes. Now, they've served you very well, and yeah. you've served other people well, and I think that is probably another reason why, because you are a fantastic songwriter yourself, but you know that you need to throw in some covers. Yeah. So do you choose them very carefully? Yeah, and I think I'm quite good at it. Yeah. I think I'm quite good at it. I think I've always been... I'm quite good at knowing what suits my voice yeah. and also what might touch people. I mean, there are a few artists. I mean, Mick Hucknell from Simply Red has always done quite quite a lot of covers as well, and he chooses wisely for his voice. Um, and, I mean, yes, I am a songwriter. I, 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 I don't know how great I am, but I, I think I've written a few, you know, good uns. Um, but I, I like to sort of mix it up, really. And I like to interpret other people's songs, you know. Put your own spin on it. Yeah, yeah. and your, your own kind of meaning um, interpretation, you know. But I tell you why I think I've got quite good at it is because when you play live all the time, you're always thinking, okay, you're putting a set list together. So you've got maybe 16 songs, say, and you've got to make a show out of that. And you have to take your audience on a, on a journey, like an emotional journey. And, um, and also almost like a physical journey so that you, you know that you have to have a dynamic in, in the set list. So, you know, you've got to lift them at this right. point and then, okay, this is where we'll put the ballad. This is when we'll, you know, and then after that big, huge ballad, then you come back with something that might have even a bit of humour in it, you know. Um, and I think that's where it's come from. And it, it also has very much come from when I started singing jazz, when I left the pop. And also another thing, because I, I, I do consider you to be an entertainer now, mm. more than just a singer, not just, but, you know, singer-songwriter yeah. or a singer, because your shows are such... You bring a lot to the table because you're very funny and you tell your stories and your anecdotes. Did you always do that or did that just start with the jazz thing? Um, I think I, I, I always sort of tried to do it, um, but, with, but with the pop band in the 80s, it's not something that... But I did, I did always try and chat a little bit to the audience and I always wanted to be... Um, I was influenced as a child by watching things like the Andy Williams show mm. and... Um, shows where you know before he sang a song he'd be having a chat or he'd be doing a duet with his guest and they'd have a little chat yeah. and I was I always loved that because it just pulled me it really pulled me in you mm. know and so I wanted to do the same um, and I know Judy Garland had this ability um, and she's someone who was also a big influence on me because there's a fantastic book written by David Shipman about her and he describes her gigs at Carnegie Hall because obviously there's no video footage or anything of, of uh, he describes it and you feel like you're there just by his, his, the way he's written it about the things that she says and the things she says to the audience. And what, what I always wanted to do was to do a song that could make you cry and then do one that was quite funny and yeah. then do one that made you want to dance, you know, um, so that you've got that mixture. Well, yeah, when I got into the jazz thing, it was a perfect vehicle for me to, mm. to do that and sit down and tell stories. I've just had a thought. I think that's another reason, I don't know if you've thought about this, why you have had such a long and illustrious career is because you're a very good guest. So you get a lot of... Um, you get on the few TV shows that there are, the interview opportunities, because you've got personality. Because a lot of singers might be great singers with no personality at all. Do you think that's true? I think to a... 
to a degree i mean my old manager says oh we wanted you to be the next silla black yeah you know yeah and and i could have i could have seen my career go that way but it i might was, still it might still yeah I, you're right it might still uh but i think at the time i you see at the time we kind of looked down our nose at what what were called celebrities ah uh nowadays everybody wants to be a celebrity but you know I mean, if you'd have said to Debbie Harry, maybe, in 1982, would you consider yourself a celebrity? Or do you, I'm sure she would have run a mile. Mm. It was very uncool. You didn't, people now want to be famous for being famous. They don't even know. They did a survey, apparently, a couple of years ago. Uh, something like 10 to 17-year-olds. And the main thing they wanted to be mm. was to be famous. Yeah. As opposed to when I was young, you wanted to be a nurse or an engine driver <laughs> or a pilot. You know, it's yeah. like... You know, a lot of these TV shows uh, do have a lot to answer for, I think. Uh, and, of course, social media. But I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto that. Yes. Yeah, you mentioned Judy Garland. Who else were you a fan of? Dusty Springfield. So you were already a fan of Dusty Springfield. Who wouldn't be? I mean, I'm, if you're a singer, who, she's amazing. She's often considered the top one in, in that as a pop yes. star of the 60s. Yeah. Um, how did you end up? starring as Dusty Springfield in a musical? Oh, well, I, my sister phoned me and cause she was working for a TV company and stuff, so she was in that sort of world. Who's the sister you keep referring my to? My sister Helen. Helen, I my know My sister Helen. Helen, who's lovely. We're very close. She phoned me, she said, have you heard they're making this musical about Dusty Springfield? I said, no. She said, well, you better get down there and have an audition. So I think, I don't know who I phoned. I phoned someone somehow and got myself an audition. And um, I went down there and walked in and I sang, I can't remember what I sang, something like I just don't know what to do with myself or something like that. Yeah. And they more Nailed or less it. gave me the job <gasps> there and then. And there were still other people waiting for an audition. And they were sort of saying, can you do this and blah, blah, blah. And, um, uh, and then I went home and then by five o'clock I got the call saying they want you to do it. very well so I've listened to it so many times you sing it it's great your spin on it it's yeah well we when we were deciding to do it for the my last album um 
my latest album. I shouldn't say my yeah. last album. You still um, say album. You know, album. My yes. latest streaming. Yes. Um, and I wonder if I'll be in the hit parade again soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were trying to work out how to do it because if you listen to the lyric, it's really sad. And yet Gene Pitney's version, Dusty's version, everyone else's version is all very happy and jolly and mm. fast. And so we kind of deconstructed it and stripped it all away and turned it into this ballad. And the way we produced it... Who's it, we? Uh, me and Alastair Gavin, who mm. I've been working with also since the 80s. He, he was a Wilsation. And when I was making this album, I thought, Alistair's the man, because he's quite into electronics. He's a bit of a boffin. Mm. And I wanted it to be, you know, we wanted to update it and make it contemporary and put Mary Wilson's stamp on it. So, so yeah, so it's, it all sounds a bit Star Trek, the uh, Tulsa version we did. But when I do it live, it's uh, people crying, you know, because mm. it's quite sad. Yeah. You know, this woman is driving down the motorway, stops, asks some guy where, where she can get something to eat, and ends up, um, well, basically staying the night in the motel by the service station. Filthy hove. Filthy old bag. And then uh, writes a letter to her partner or husband and says, I'm sorry, I met someone else. Basically, that's, that's it. Mm. But it's sad. And the lyrics are uh, wonderful. Of course, it's Burt Baccarat. Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, Dusty, she wasn't very nice, apparently. She, had, she was volatile. Right. She had a, a dreadful temper, I believe. Did that come over in the musical or did they just... Well, no, we did, we did touch on it a bit, and she did have a bit of a drinking and druggy problem when she oh, came to she? L.A. Uh, in the 70s. Right. Um, but how, did, how was that? You, you did this, this was... How many shows a week were you doing? Eight shows a week. For how long? Uh, nearly ten months. And how did you keep your energy going? Because that's, that's a, a real... It's one thing to go on tour, at least you might get a couple of nights off a week. Yeah. And, it, and also, when you do gigs, it's different from being in a in a musical theatre or in a play or something because you have to say the same thing every night. You oh, have right, to, yeah. You know, there's no... You, don't, you can't relax for a minute and go, take another guitar solo, <laughs> you know. So, um, and also I have type 1 diabetes, which I've had for 40 years, 40 years this year. And so I, ha I, I, I have to be careful. I, could, I didn't drink at all, the whole thing. I didn't, you know, and I do like the odd glass of wine, but I didn't have anything. I think, I think it was the very, very last show I had a glass of red wine. But, um, what, to keep I, your voice? I, yeah, well, also because I didn't want to get sick. And yeah. I did get sick a couple of times because when at the beginning, when it was like January, February, and it was cold and nasty and you, mm. get, you get the flu thing, and I, I still went on. I didn't miss a show. But um, the, my understudy never went on, which was just as well because she was about five foot ten <laughs> and skinny and would never have got into my costumes because they didn't make her any costumes. Well, that's good, because then she'd have looked ridiculous and she no one would have, have remembered her. Exactly. Can you imagine if she'd been really good? I know, that wouldn't have been she'd good. She'd probably hate you, did she? she? I know, she never went to go on. No. no, she never went on. And you enjoyed that, and you'd do it again if you... Um, I don't know if I would do it again. It's really hard yeah. work, and I was a lot younger. I was... How old was I? It was 20 40s. years ago, so I was like, I was 43. Yeah. Something God, like that. It seems like forever ago, doesn't it? And so, I, you know, that's, that's a lot younger than I am now. Right. And also... Um, yeah, but you still tour. You still, I still you tour, I do. One. But I, I mean, the last couple of years I've been really, really busy. And it did start to, I did start to think this is getting a bit much now. I think I need to, you know... So the, the, this year I've been a bit more picky. Um, so you're actually in that luxurious position to turn things down? Well, just to not put so much in the in the diary yeah you know because um but you're still doing it still in the game yeah brilliant i mean i can't really... imagine not doing it 
No. I think I'd be, get so bored. What was I, it you were saying when we were talking before having a catch-up? Um, you were saying that quote that you used to think of about if you're an artist... If you're oh, yes, and I wish I could remember who it was. It was an author, and he said, the artist who stops working ceases to be one. Mm. And I remember I wrote that, I think I said to you, I wrote that in my Philo facts <laughs> back in the day. And uh, I, used to, I used to look at it a lot, yeah. you know, and think about, you know. But then, you know, I read a fantastic biography of Peggy Lee recently. I think it's called Is That All There Is? Uh, by somebody, Gavin, James Gavin. It's really good because I read her her biography and it was rubbish. There was nothing in there at all. Right. But because she's passed away, you know, and it's all in there. It's very interesting. And she, she had periods where she didn't work, you know. Um, and I also thought, oh, she just didn't work for a while. She wanted to bring up her kids. And actually, that's okay. You know, we are under a bit of pressure to oh, keep going, keep going, don't yeah. stop. Yeah. But actually, maybe it's a good thing to stop. And also, I personally, I need time to stop before I, I'm going to do the next album yeah. or the next project or, yeah. or, or I'm going to be writing some songs. I have to... Because my next album can't be covers. I don't want to do another album of covers. I want so to are you writing originals. at the moment? Yeah. yeah. Good. Will yeah. you just never stop? Just You won't ever stop. You'll keep going. No, I Let's won't. talk about White Horses. Do you know any? Yes. Well, <laughs> I... Um, so when I was a kid, my dad was a shift worker, um, worked for London Transport. So when I got home from school, he would often be there. And um, we would watch kids' TV. So we would... Well, we would do the crossword in the evening news then we would watch tv about half past four five o'clock and it would be all these shows like blue peter magpie crackerjack crackerjack um and then there were the eastern european shows like the singing ringing tree and heidi the singing ringing tree was a weird show anyway um then there was this show which was belgian actually originally um and we used to watch it, and I can never remember what actually happened. All I remember is this theme tune. And I always said to my dad, I'm going to sing that one day. And so I, I have sung it, and I did, and I recorded it, and it's on my latest album. On white horses let me ride away To my world of dreams so far away Let me run to the sun to a world my heart can understand It's a gentle, warm and wonderland far away strong one now then what should we talk about i know social media mm. because uh we are facebook friends that's how we serious are. our friendship is mm -hmm. um and i have noticed that you're very good at it and i mean that 
with the greatest respect and no irony. When you're doing Facebook, it's it, it's in the social media and there's Instagram and all and Twitter and all these things. It's it's part of the business now that you didn't have before. Yeah. And how you take it seriously and you're very good at posting because some people are really bloody annoying and post too much. Well, and you know, we, I couldn't agree with you more. I hate it when people go, here I am in hospital. Yeah. And, this is my um, lunch. You know, and I've got a problem with my bowels. Or, the be- no, or they say, I've had the worst day ever. Yeah, had the worst it. day. I, I, or people who rant. Yeah. And there's paragraph after paragraph. And you think, God, how big is your ego that you think people really want mm. to read this? Um, well, first of all, as an artist, I have to do it. Because if I do not tweet and Facebook um, and Instagram and everything, who's going to know that yeah. I'm doing that gig at Wilton's on july the 6th you know i have to keep doing that I, I have to send stuff out to my database and i do i run my website myself i do I, I do it pretty much all myself if i'm really busy i do have a friend that i call and i say look can you post this for me because i'm away or whatever but i but i have to because my job depends on it yeah as far as the personal side i also am very careful about that because you know, I don't want to be talking about things about my daughter unless it's something lovely, like, mm. look how lovely my daughter looks in this dress, maybe, or something like that, or, oh, it's our anniversary today, um, which it is, funnily enough. You're um, kidding, it's not your anniversary today. It is, yeah. We've, oh. been, we've been married for four years. We've been together for 16 years. Happy but we got married four I was years there. ago. You it were there. It was a fabulous wedding. It was a lovely day, wasn't it? It was yeah. fabulous. It was wonderful. We'll come back to but, that. But yeah, so um, it has to be done, really. If I wasn't a singer, I probably wouldn't be on there, to be honest with you. I mean, I might I might be a bit, but uh, it's really more to do with my, my job and to be in touch with my fans because mm. I can chat to them a lot. Yeah. And, but also, you, you've got a couple of fans. It might be just one in particular who's good at this shit, who finds things. How? I don't oh, that's know. that's Denny. Denny. When there was no social media then no yeah. record you know you can't stream stuff you can't go back finding the most amazing clips of you on all the shows that you used to be on and putting them up yeah and it's just fabulous and yeah. I, I, I mean i'm surprised a lot because yeah that's denny mclean he's a big big fan and a friend now um american and so he posts things uh, uh, quite a lot i go where do you find yeah. this stuff yeah. But, uh, I mean, I suppose the difference is he likes to go and look for it, whereas mm. the last thing I want to do is try and find things about myself. <laughs> you know, I, I see myself in the mirror every morning, that's enough. Um, I have to be me, you know. But social media is a necessity, uh, and, and I do... I don't like to get too personal. No. Because it's personal, yeah. you know. But you... Are you good at that stuff, technically? Because I'm not very good at it, and I don't... Oh, technically, like... I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah. I'm pretty good on You've the, always uh, been... And computer. even also recording, you've been... Because it went from now, with a computer, garage band... Yeah. Or garage band, as they <laughs> yes. say here. I mean, anyone can do it. And really good quality stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible, isn't but you it? got you got you spotted that pretty quickly, and you became quite okay. Yeah, and I don't it. know how that happened. I think I think just working in studios and working with interesting musicians yeah. who were always trying to do something new and mm. fresh, and and so I learnt from them, you know. So you mentioned that you're 63, and we talked about this before, and I because I've known you all these years, and I know that we're both the same age, and there's you, you know there's no escaping it because you've been around for so long, and Wikipedia, yeah. all of these things, everyone knows how old you are. So I felt when you were nominated for an Emmy for the 
best song and it was in Young and the Restless. Yes, Daytime Emmy, yeah. Over 60. I jump for joy when that happens to anybody, but yeah. I was especially thrilled for you. Thank you. Claire. What a, an honour and what a thrill. And I watched that on your social media because you did post, and we all wanted to see it, the going to the Emmys. Oh, it was hilarious. It was... You must have... I mean, you do have a sense of humour and you're very self-deprecating, but you must have thought... Oh, it was know, great. I did it. It was, it was great. You know, and I got given shoes yeah. and boots. <laughs> and it was like, well, this is nice. And, um, you know, I thought, why are people giving me things? Why weren't they giving me things when I was poor? Yeah. That's what I want to know. But anyway... Um, it, it was really exciting because the song, um, because we should point out that Moving my husband back. does, he is the exec producer of The Young and the Restless. Of course, that's got nothing to do with the fact nothing that I was asked to write this well, song. Well, yeah. Well, I hope it had something but, to do with it. But yes. the point is, you delivered it. Well, that and was it worked, the thing. And that it was nominated. Thing. That was nothing to he do with it. He said to me, I was here in LA and I was going back to London the next day or something. And he said, oh, do you think you could write a song, you know, and he explained what he needed and everything. And I was going to be getting home on the Friday. And I said, when do you need it by? And he said, well, by Monday morning. <laughs> I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm going to get back Friday, jet lagged. Um, and I said, what if I write something and I send it to you and it's not right and you don't mm. like it? I said, we've got to be really honest with you. You just have to say to me, sorry, I, this isn't right. I'm going to have to ask someone else or whatever. I said, and then you that's fair enough. And then we were, I would have filed for divorce yes. and that would have been that. Um, but I can't... Well, I, I've discovered, actually, Claire, what I'm quite good at is writing to a brief. Mm. So because I had a brief, because I knew what it needed to be about, it needed to be kind of like a lullaby type thing and from a certain time, maybe sounding a bit 50s-ish, which is sort of my thing anyway. And so um, I got home and that, that night I sang it into my phone because I started to get these ideas and then I sang more and more and more and then I didn't have a middle eight. So I got in touch with... Um, R.C. Cates, who's the musical guy at Young and the Restless, I said, you need to help me finish this. And so he did. And then I forgot about it, really, and, it, uh, and I saw the footage of where it was used in the show, and I thought, oh, that's so wonderful. That's, like, amazing. That's never happened to me before. And then I got the call from Mal saying, guess what? You've been nominated for uh, an Emmy, which I, I didn't get the Emmy, but it doesn't really matter. I've got my, my certificate. Well, it's huge. And, um, I mean, they do... Lovely. It's the one thing... The Emmys, Academy Awards, BAFTAs, when they say it's not the winning, it's the nomination. It truly is. To be yeah. part of the party, to be listed. Well, hundreds of songs were, were yes. submitted. Yes. And, and I was one of four yeah. that was nominated. So, so that's did not you, bad. did you practice your face? Because it was all recorded. On TV and yeah. No, not really. You didn't have a face. Practice looking not disappointed. Did you like the song that won? No. <laughs> It was just very old-fashioned. Yeah. That, Let's play it. Moon and Back. Sky for 
I mean, you can't argue with it. it you cannot argue with it. That's a killer song. It's not. It's, it's, it's been really nice when I've been doing it live, actually. You know, because people are kind of going, oh, you know. And also, in especially in this town, there is a bit of smoke and mirrors because it is will not do you any harm to be Emmy nominated. Mm. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And it's a worthy, worthy nomination. Now you mentioned glamour, and of course that was your whole thing with the um, Mary Wilson. And the Wilsations, it was the, the outfits yeah. were spectacular. And you mentioned the 50s. And um, as you mentioned, Mal's a TV executive, so you probably watch a lot of stuff. Have you seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No. Oh, it's fabulous. No, I It's haven't. on Prime, Amazon Prime, whatever it's called. Okay. It's fabulous, and you will love it, and so will Mal. And it's set in the 50s. The costumes are spectacular. And I'm always a bit late to the party, but not as late as you, because I've discovered it. And I, I watched an episode last night, and they do a lot of songs from back in the day. Oh. And they had Julie London singing Crime oh, River. River. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I was... Obviously, I know that song, because I know that you covered it, with enormous success. I mean, again, that took, got you yes, on top of the Yes, that went top 20, yeah. And I've got to say... Because obviously she, her, she's hers was the original, but I still think yours is better. Do you? Yeah, I, I loved that song and the way you sing it. And you still sing it. I still and sing it. Yes, I, I, I have it. to. You know, it's it's, uh, it's it's you're demanded. Your fans demanded. Yeah, it's a good song, isn't it? it? Is, it Check is out the song. marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I will. Thank Hi. you, the marvelous Mary, for chatting with me. Thank you, Claire. That and was fun, wasn't thank it? Thank you. Well, you're always fun. So we've been friends for over 35 years. We have. And I married one of your band And you members. married uh, my guitarist. I did, yeah. Yes. Thanks for that. And you're still married to him, so that's good. Yes, I am. Yeah. Well, it didn't last few. the first time, right? Yeah, we had a long... You had a long relationship. Well, he was a bloody then... musician. Yes, exactly. God's sake. But now we're great. And then, of course, my sister... Sing a song yes. Julia Fordham was a backing was singer. Was my backing singer, yeah. and we're still friends after. All I know, isn't years. it wonderful? Yeah. Long may it continue, yes. our friendship. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Now you say you're lonely. You cry the.
over you. Thanks, Mary. A class act. Talking of class acts, a tip of my hat to the undisputed Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, who died on August the 16th, the same day as two other legends, Elvis Presley and Babe Ruth. My friend Kathy Goldsmith told me that. She remembers the date as her eldest son was born on August the 16th. I've triple-checked and it's true. Aretha and Elvis both died on August the 16th. You heard it here first. I'm giving the guys a chance to shine next time. On the next episode of The Chat with Claire Fordham, my guest will be advertising titan Aaron Walton, co-founder of top ad agency Walton Isaacson. Until next time, keep calm and chat on. We simply must applaud them. The Chat Podcast with Claire Fordham. Keep calm and chat on. The Chat with Claire Fordham is an M Squared production.